0: Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, grab a seat, grab a seat, and howdy! Howdy! Guys, we are fast approaching the end of the semester, also the end of this initiative. Um, some of you excited about that, some of you just wanted to keep on going. But I'm sorry, you'll have to catch up again on the podcast. Um, which, by the way, we have a college podcast. Hope you're ready for that. How y'all feeling about heading into finals? So good, so good, uh, you guys are really on the cusp of of the end of it i love I love transitions. I love transitioning to the end of the semester. I love the transition to summer uh, and I, some of you are like, "I love the transition to new roommates next year right I love these transitions and I tell you what I love most about it is this the end knowing the end is coming and knowing what end is coming shapes or should shape how you value and live in the present if you know the end of the game it should shape how you play the game so if you have a bible jump to uh first timothy chapter 6 verse 17 through 19 i'm going to read a little bit for us from uh, first timothy and then we will talk about the game we are in first timothy chapter 6 starting in verse 17 actually i'm going to back up a little bit but Verse 11, and then our main focus is going to be 17 through 19. It says this. This is Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, about which the good confession and many presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God. You are to give life to who gives life to all things and to Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession. He says, Timothy, I want you to charge hard all the way through the finish. And in verse 17, he changes it a little bit. He says, Okay, I want to want to focus in on an instruction. I want you to give to other people, Timothy. He says this, now as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love that phrase, take hold of that which is truly life. It's what he told Timothy in verse 12, that you take hold of eternal life. And I I pray, I want us to take hold of what really is life. So let me pray for us one more time. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I pray that if we get anything this morning, we might get how to take hold of life, how to live life to the fullest, how to play the game of life well, so that at the end of our days, at the end of our time, we can look back over all of the hours we spent and we would say in accumulation, we lived a life worth living. And Lord, I can't do that. I can't will us toward that end, and we need your spirit to guide us. So I pray that your spirit come and give us clarity on how we might play the game of life well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, every Friday is Daddy Day for me. And so I pick up all of my, I I am in charge of all of my kids. My wife's a veterinarian. And so Friday she works at a veterinary clinic in Katy. And so Fridays I'm watching all the kids in this crazy little world. So I've got four kids. I've got a seven-year-old daughter named Peyton. She's in first grade. I've got a uh, six-year-old son named Micah and he's in kindergarten. I have got a four-year-old son named Jesse and uh, he is awesome. And then I got Juliet, a two-year-old little girl who is a, a little bundle of joy as well. And so uh, the older two go off to school, and then so I spend time with the younger two just making it through the day, which is so much fun, and at the end of the day at 3 o'clock, I go pick up all of them from school, and we have this little game that we play. So uh, there's a very complex setup to pick up children from a school. One day you'll learn this process. There's a variety of colored cones, and a person with a little walkie-talkie that sees the names that you hang in your car of your children, they radio ahead, and then line up your children behind a colored cone so that you can pick them up easily and move off to the rest of your day. It's very complex. And so we've turned it into a game. We turn it into a game, and so we try to guess early on which cone, which colored cone our Peyton and Mike are going to be behind, which color. And so I tell Jesse, I'm like, hey, which cone do you pick? And he's like, uh, I'm not ready to guess yet. I'm like, why don't you just guess? And he's like, he's like no, I'm going to wait. And we turn around the bend. By the time we turn around this bend, he can see which colored cone the, his old brother and sister are sitting behind. And he says, I picked the green cone. I'm like, Jesse... You got to guess before you see the color. That's the point of the game. He's like, I don't play that way. I'm like, I'm like Jesse, you're you're missing the point of the game. And he's like, no, I wait until I can see the cone and then I guess. And I'm like, I'm like, well, Jesse, um, that's called cheating. Okay, you're you're waiting until you know the answer before you give your guess. And he's like, no, that's how I play the game. And I thought about it, and I'm like, that's actually a better way to play the game. Right, like I mean, think about going into your tests like this coming week. Right, you you want to go in prepared, right? Like you don't just want to go and just guess, hoping you know the answers. What you want is a professor to give you a study guide and give you study sessions, so that when you walk into the exam, you know what's coming and you prepare properly. That's actually how you want to play the game of school, right? In most other games, you want to know what's coming so that you can prepare accordingly. And I love that story. And I love that story of Jesse because he says, look, I want to know where the end is going to be, and then I will guess accordingly. And the Bible speaks the same way. The Bible says, I want you to live your life knowing where it's headed, because if you know where it's headed, you can adjust your life accordingly. Years ago, uh, there was a man named William Gladstone. He was the prime minister of England from 1809 to 1898. And, uh, and he had gave a speech shortly before he died. And he tells a story of a young man who came up to him who admired William Gladstone in his life and what he contributed. And so the person asked a question. He goes, um, he, he said, William Gladstone asked a question. Hey, what do you hope to do when you graduate from college? That's a good question. The young man replied, I hope to attend law school, sir, just as you did. He said, oh, that's noble. That's a noble goal. Then what? Well, I hope to practice law and to make a good name for myself, defending the poor and the outcasts of society, just as you did. That's a noble purpose, said Gladstone. Then what? Well, sir, I hope to one day stand for parliament and, and become a great servant of the people, just as you did. That, too, is a noble hope. What then? Well, I would hope to be able to serve in the parliament with great distinction, evidencing integrity and concern for justice, just as you did. Uh, what then? What then? Well, I would hope to serve the government of the prime minister with the same vigor and dedication and vision. Yeah, yeah, what then? Well, I would hope to retire with honors and write memoirs, even as you are presently doing, so that all could learn from my great mistakes and triumphs. Very humble young man, 20-year-old. All that's very noble, said Gladstone, and then what? The young man thought for a moment, Well, sir, I suppose I would then die. That's correct, said Gladstone. And then what? The young man looked puzzled. Well, sir, I don't, I haven't given that much thought. Gladstone said, young man, the only advice I have for you is that you go home, read your Bible, and think about eternity. John Wesley said, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. See, so many of you are about to graduate. Anyone? Anyone? So I just want to take this moment right now, and I want to celebrate the seniors. Who are you, seniors, going to be graduating? So go ahead and just kind of raise your hand if you're a senior graduating. Oh, man. You are near the end of it. Give me a hand. Oh, my goodness. Seniors, you are at the end of the road. You are graduating, and you are heading out. We're going to pray for you at the end of the service. I am so excited for you. And you have plans. You have plans that hope will end well in your life. And I I tell you what, if you look back in college, you'll see a couple of things with your time. And one of the key things that you're going to see is this. Even though you're almost done, if you look back in college, you'll you'll see this very quickly, that your time in college was much shorter than you thought. I mean, you remember back to that freshman year when you were in that dorm with that roommate, and now you look four, five, six years later, um, and you're like... That time was much shorter than you think. You also know that that there was a lot of uncertainties that you faced through your navigating time in college. There was a lot of uncertainty about what major you're going to pick, who you're going to spend time with, what you're going to do. There's uncertainties in life. But what you wanted to do is you wanted to play this time to win. And I'll tell you what, the same truth you can gain in looking back at your time in college. You can look at forward and say, okay, if I want to play this game to win... I need to realize my time is short. I need to navigate uncertainties well. And ultimately, I need to prioritize my time. And for most of you, it took till your senior year to figure out how to do it. But now looking forward, you can learn how to do it well. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. In 1 Timothy 16, or 6, verse 17, he says this, I want to give you a perspective of time. And the first perspective I want to give you this is that time is short. Time is much shorter than you think. And he addresses it specifically to the rich. He says, uh, we are the, to the rich in the present age. And whether you believe it or not, you are actually rich in this present age. There's a study that was done by ABC, uh, recorded in ABC by the, the UBS bank, and it said this. That 40% of those with $5 million in investments and assets did not feel that they were rich. Only 28% of those who invested between $1 and $5 million viewed themselves as rich. And here's what was surprising about this, this study. They said this. To us, the biggest surprise was that many people with $1 million or more did not consider themselves wealthy. Most wealthy people do not consider themselves wealthy. And you're like, well, Kevin, I don't have millions of dollars. What exactly is rich? According to the Global Rich website... If your annual income exceeds $35,000, you are easily in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If your annual income exceeds $35,000, you are easily in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Most of you graduating college will walk into careers where you'll hit that number very quickly. And if you're married, you'll definitely hit that number if you're both working. And what's crazy is that most of us don't think that we're rich, but we really are rich in this present age. And so this, this verse in 1 Timothy, although we don't feel like we're wealthy, actually really applies to us. And the, problem, the reality is this. This age will end. Psalm 103, 15 through 16 says this. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower on the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place is known no more. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. He says, We are like grass. Our time in life is short, and then it's gone. It's like a vapor, and that's exactly what James says. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We have a cat that we obtained through my wife, because she's a veterinarian, as I said earlier. And it was basically just a cat that was around um, the, the, the clinic. We brought it home, and the cat is insane. And to control a cat, there's only one way to control a cat, and that's to spray it with water. So when the cat gets wherever it shouldn't go, we spray it with water. Right? We'll you know, jump onto a table, jump onto our food, and so we'll have be armed with this little spray bottle. Uh, and, and my wife has adjusted the nozzle so that it sprays long and sharp, and she will spray the cat, and then the cat will move on, you know, obeying us appropriately. And, and the reason I tell you that is because this, like every time that spray comes, the spray comes, it hits, and then it vanishes. It's a mist. It's just there and it's gone. The Bible says, look, your life is like a mist, a spray that goes and evaporates quickly. And he says, your life is much shorter than you think. And so knowing that your life is short should motivate you to action. And everyone knows this. I read an article in Huffington Post where a guy was saying he was watching Breaking Bad and he goes, Walt, at the end of this show, realized his life was short and how he spent his life was invaluable. And so he's, he's meditating on this show, Breaking Bad, and starts writing this little article. And he says, look, we work our butts off. We hang out at the mall. We watch too much TV and we skip exercise in favor of that bag of chips or bowl of ice cream. We know that we could do better. But the day-to-day has the habit of getting in our way. We'll change our routine tomorrow. Research the new career next week or or look for greater meaning in our lives once the kids have gone to bed. There's no ultimatum, no deadline, no pressure. So we plod through life, accepting the status quo, even though silently we're craving for more. But what if, like Walt, we had had limited time left on this earth. Would we reevaluate the things of importance to us? If we knew that our days were numbered, would we take back control and fight a little more? I love that. He's not a believer. He's just riding on his reflection of breaking bad. And he goes, if I knew that the end was close, would I live my life differently now? And that's that's a very biblical principle. Moses says, teach us to number our days so I may present to you a heart of wisdom. If I know I time is short, then I have to live differently. And There's a way to do that. And what Paul is telling Timothy is, look, there's a way you can choose to live your life. When you know that your life is very short, you can do one of two things. You can either look to hoard and grasp more, or you can live freely and chase what is truly life. And so he warns them. He says, charge them, that's the wealthy, not to be haughty, In order to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, he says, I want you to trust in something that lasts, but there's something that's gonna glimmer right in front of you. There's something that's gonna glimmer there and it's gonna seem like life, but I'm telling you, that's gonna take life from you. Don't set your hope on something that feels so real, but is so uncertain. Have you ever trusted in something that let you down? Maybe it was a friendship. And that person let you down. Maybe it was that relationship? And that person let you down. For me, growing up, it was cars. I always drove bad cars growing up, and one of those cars, uh, it was like a Nissan Sentra uh, from like 1990. I don't know. It was it was old when I got it. And and I would I remember the first time I was 17 years old. I finally got to drive my car to school. I was a junior in high school. So excited. I drove it the first day, parked it in the parking lot. I'm like, what's up, people? Yeah, Sentra. Okay, keep on walking. And I remember uh, coming back after that day excited. You know, everyone goes to the parking lot and goes to their car. Like, oh, yeah, I got, you know, you have your keys at that point. I'm going to go get my car. You know, you just uh, later, you know, I'll see you later. Sonic? Okay, I'll see you Sonic, later. You know, and you're just so cool. And I walk to my car, and I go to start it, and nothing. Totally dead. And by that time, all my friends had got home. And so I walk the three miles to my house. Right? I call my dad, because at that time, it's back in the olden days, there's no cell phones. Um, so I walk back home, I call my dad, hey, the car's issue, we're going to get towed somewhere. We tow it somewhere, get it worked on for like the next three or four weeks, so it's a downer. I get the car back, I have it working for about two or three weeks. Same thing happens. Go through the day, dead in the parking lot. I'm like, I'm spending more time waiting for this car to be fixed than driving it. And I wish I could say that changed in college. Now I took that same car to college. The worst was when I, 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 one day I was driving on a Mopac bridge in Austin. And at that point, the car said, Hey, we're done. And literally turned off on Mopac bridge during five o'clock traffic. It was awesome. And I realized this. I'm like, I'm like this car. I cannot trust it. It only will break down on me. It is so uncertain in life and will, Paul is trying to tell you is this. When you view anything other than God in life as something that will carry you the distance, it will disappoint you. There are so many uncertainties in life and wealth is one of those. And you're working hard. You're trying to get a career, trying to advance. But if you set your hope in wealth, it will disappoint you. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says this way. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, It is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Isn't that a crazy image? Like, you you picture all the money that you have in your bank account, the safety and security net of that, that money, whatever it is, that job opportunity that you have. And he says, as you think about your wealth, it will sprout wings and like a powerful eagle fly away from you, high, so you can never get it back. And that image solidified in my mind. I'm like, does that really happen? I mean, does that really happen that wealth will literally fly away? Well, it has. In Zimbabwe, from 2008 to 2009, there's currency instability in that country. And through the confiscation of private farms and landowners, through some turmoil during the Second Congo War, inflation from 2000 to 2009 was difficult to measure because it was so high. At the peak... Inflation is estimated at about seven seventy-nine point six billion percent inflation rate. This is some of the money that they made in Zimbabwe. Get a pass. This is some of the money that was printed during this time. One billion dollar notes. The inflation rate was so high, all these people that had this money, literally, it became worthless overnight. In 2008 and 2009, there was a a global economic crisis across the world. And overnight, people lost millions of dollars. Tim Keller writes in his book, After the global economic crisis began in 2008, there followed a tragic string of suicides of formerly wealthy, well-connected individuals. The acting chief financial officer, of Freddie Mac, the federal loan and mortgage corporation hung himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Young, the leading U.S. real estate auto firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. The French money manager who invested the wealth in many of Europeans' royalty and leading families and lost $1.4 billion of his clients' money in in the Bernie Madoff scheme, slit his wrists, and died in his Madison Avenue office. Literally, the money left in a second. And these people were left in the collateral damage of what do I do when wealth flies? And Paul says, look, don't place your hope in the uncertainty of wealth. It'll leave you. It'll be gone in a moment. But secondly, it'll choke you. Mark 4, 18 through 19 says this, of the parable of the sower. It says this, there, there are some people that hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches And the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, so it proves unfruitful. First Timothy one six says it this way. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, and a snare that many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. I want to be clear on this. It's not every evil, but it's all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. He says, if you chase money, it will choke the life out of you. And so many of us are, are in this game of life and in this game of college hoping to find that career, that future that will bring us life. And we're like, that internship is like life. That job with that paycheck is like life. And the Bible is warning us, Paul is warning us, don't chase it because it will never bring you the life that you ultimately want. If you want to play the game of life well, play it to win. And if you want to play it to win, you don't focus your eyes on the uncertainty of riches. You place your eyes in a completely different place. Verse 17, he says, but place your eyes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share the storing of treasure for themselves. is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that, which is truly life. I love this because the way that Paul lays out how to enjoy wealth is very helpful. And this is how you win at life. The first thing he says this in verse 17 is to first enjoy what God gives. Are you going to go on a vacation this summer? Anyone? Enjoy it in Jesus' name, right? Enjoy the vacation. There's nothing wrong with that. Anyone going to go get coffee later on? Oh, there are a few things better in my life than going to Starbucks and sitting and reading a good book and sipping on coffee. And God says, enjoy it, right? Anyone going to go out to lunch after this? Go somewhere good. Like, where they have to, like, sit down and and serve you. Go get a great taco. Go get a great burrito. Enjoy it. There is nothing wrong with enjoying the gifts that God gives you. That's the perspective. He says, but focus your eyes on God who richly gives you everything to enjoy. Enjoy the gifts of God. There's nothing wrong with that. That That's biblical. Enjoy the gifts of God. But he tells you, secondly... But live generously. Live a life where you are generous with the gifts that are given to you. And here's what's very interesting. In 2011, they did a study on the wealthiest Americans, those who earn the top in the top 20%, and they contribute a, uh, an average of 1.3% of their income to charity. 1.3%. By comparison, Americans at the base of the income pyramid, like at the very bottom of the income pyramid, those in the bottom 20%, donate 3.2% of their income, double. The relative generosity of lower-income Americans is accentuated by the fact that, unlike the middle class, the wealthy donors, most of them cannot take advantage of their charitable tax tax deductions. He says, look, the bottom people, they can't even take advantage of the charitable giving. Yet they give more. Poor people are more generous with their wealth. But here's what's crazy. They did studies on generosity. You know what they found? people are happier when they give. There was a study um, recorded by Time Magazine. There's a professor named Elizabeth Dunn, a psychology professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada, and she did a study on money. So what they did is they They took random people, they gave them a hundred bucks, and said, you can take this hundred bucks, you can either spend it on yourself, or you can give it to other people. And then they hooked their brains up to waves, you know, like brainwaves to figure out how they're going to respond emotionally and whether they give or whether they spend it on themselves. You know what they found? The people that gave were just happier. says this, people who donate to charity are happier in poor countries alike. So they did it with um, other countries. They did it with people that were in Canada and Uganda, and they found that no matter what situation, the people that gave were literally happier. And they said this. These are the crazy findings they found. People who donate to charity have lower blood pressure. They can. uh, She even controlled for other factors like income and wealth and age to suggest if it was repeatable. And they found that the people that gave had better qualities of life. They found that that they were happier in life. It was amazing. And I look at this, I'm like, why, why is it that God is telling us to be generous? It's not to fund buildings. It's not to fund initiatives. It's because when God wants you to have a quality of life that is the best kind of life, he says this, you live open-handed because it's better to give than receive. And the secret to truly living is giving. He says, if you live this way, not only will you enjoy life more, lastly, you'll be storing up for yourselves eternal reward. You'll be building eternal treasures. And so this giving initiative that we're a part of, let me tell you this. No one's expecting the college ministry to break, break the bank on this. right? And many of you are graduating and leaving. And so you guys are going to go somewhere else. And that's great. And I would encourage you to take the things that you're learning and live generously there. But I'll tell you what, we at Grace Bible Church, I want to be clear on this. We have never, ever in the history of Grace Bible Church done a give initiative. We have never, ever in the history of Grace Bible Church done a five-week sermon series on giving. (laughs) But what we feel like God is calling us to do is to challenge our people to live generous lives, that we might build the kingdom of God and open our hands to see what God would want to do with us. And if you don't know what our goal is, I want to be very clear on this. The primary goal is this, 100% engagement, that all of us would say, I'm ready to lean in to what God is doing. And there's a commitment card, and I want to be really clear on this. This is going to happen next week where we have an opportunity to respond. And it doesn't matter the number. It matters Are you willing to step in, to lean in with what God is doing? For some of you, that'll be 50 cents a year, but you're going to lean in. For some of you, it's going to be $100 a year. For some of you, it's going to be more. I don't know the number. The number doesn't matter. The question is this. Are you willing to lean in with your resources and say, Lord, you've blessed me. I grew up in the wealthiest country in the world. You've blessed me. And I want to live a generous life. I don't want to hoard my possessions. I want to live open-handed. And I want to invest in your kingdom and what you're doing in this world. And if you haven't heard what we're doing, let me lay it out for you real quick. We want to plant more campuses of Grace Bible Church in this community. Many of you have I've I've talked to some of you and been like, um, "When are y'all planning on going to Brian? We're planning on going to Brian. Is it the next move? Probably. I can't guarantee that, but probably we're probably going to plant another campus in the next two years to reach more people with the gospel. Is it going to be Brian? I don't know, but but that is definitely clearly on the radar for us because we want to get the gospel to more people in this place. We want to plant another church and another university another university college church in this area. Maybe the SEC, right? probably not Big 12, so if you want to go Waco or that sort of thing, probably not going to be in Waco, Um, but probably another school. We want to plant another university family church, and we want to plant churches overseas. So what is all this money going for? We want to build stuff currently so that we can go debt-free. We want, and the price tag for that building is $16 million for our Creekside campus. It's hefty. We also want to go further. We want to bring the gospel to more communities. We want to plant more grace Bible churches in other cities around the world. And if you were at New Ground, anyone at New Ground? Yeah. We got this. And I think this to me symbolizes what this whole thing is about. It's a little keychain You can put pills in it. But I actually don't want you to put pills in it. I, I want you to put ground in it. My challenge to us was that we would go to different areas around College Station and Bryan, and we would gather some ground, and we would start praying for the people that walk over that ground. Because this whole initiative is about one thing the glory of God and people. We want Jesus to be known, and we want people to be saved. And this whole initiative is about more people hearing the good news of the gospel being changed so that they might go and share more. And some of you are going to do that here locally. You'll stay here. And some of you, when we tell you where we're going to go next, that may be coming to a city near you where you land, and you might say in that moment, I want to go too. You want to hear the most encouraging thing? You want to hear something encouraging? I need some yeses, people. (laughs) As we were presenting this at one of our vision nights, there was a family that came up and said, you know what we have? We have flexibility in our jobs and careers. We can live a lot of different places. When you tell us where y'all are going next outside of Texas, you let us know because we want to move there and be a part. That's living a generous life. We've had more people coming, like other pastors around town saying, what are y'all doing now? That's amazing. You're bringing the gospel to more places. They've literally come up to Brian Fisher and other pastors and like, this is incredible. How cool would it be for other churches in this community to say, you know what? We're not done. The gospel can go further and we can get it there faster if we all pull together. We've got people overseas with our projects in missions overseas that they're already ready to partner with us. As soon as we're ready to pull the trigger on some of these church plants, you realize the thing that's holding us back is simply our willingness to be generous with our lives. And for some of you, that's financial. Some of you, it's your time and your future. I don't know what it is, but God is calling all of us to be open-handed with our lives, that we might partner with him and see the gospel go further and faster than ever before. And next week is our opportunity to respond. No one's going to hold you to the amount. You're not going to get a phone call about your giving. It's not going to happen. But we as a church want to say, if we're going to move forward, we need to know that our people are with us. And this is your way to communicate with us. So next week, we're actually going to have an opportunity to respond in this, with this moment. And I want to tell you that because I don't want to surprise anyone. And as you leave um, these services, uh, we're going to have people at the door with cards. So if you want to look at it a little more clearly, we can grab one on the way out. But more than anything, I pray that you personally know the love of Jesus and that you're personally changed so that we might move together as one. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to do a couple celebration moments. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you for this Every Knee initiative um, because it challenges me to live generously with my life. Because to be honest, Lord, I have a future that I want. I have things that I want to do with my resources, my time. And Lord, it is not always leading in your direction. So Lord, I pray that you would open up my hands. You would open up my life that I might live fully for you. Senior, so let me pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to celebrate two things real quick. Are you ready to cheer? First one is this for our seniors. If you are graduating, you raised your hand earlier, I want you to go ahead and stand up real quick, all right? If you're graduating, ah, oh, so good. Ah, oh, so good. Here's what I I want to do. Um, I I would love for people kind of at their tables near them just to kind of either extend a hand or put a hand on them, and we are going to pray for them real quick, okay? So extend a hand or put a hand on them. Um, Don't make it awkward. And we're going to pray for them. Father, I thank you so much for these seniors, and I thank you so much that you have brought them to this place. You have grown them and matured them, and that you are going to send them off to do great things for your kingdom. I pray that all the things that they've learned here at their time at uh, in college, but all the things that they've learned here um, with the community of Grace Bible Church that they would take with them and that they would leave inspired and empowered to make an eternal impact with their lives. I thank you so much for each one of these students and I pray that you would give them clear paths as they move forward, great community in the next place that they land and help them to continue to use their gifts To serve you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Awesome, awesome. And then we have one other recognition moment, and I'm sorry if you're a table host in here, but we actually want to honor the table hosts, okay? So give them a big hand. These these folks have given um, a a lot of time um, to you guys. I know you appreciate it. And they've They've, they've cooked meals for you, um, they've had conversations with you, they've opened up their homes to you, they've, they've invested in you, and we, we are so thankful for their investment in, in you, and so thankful for them. And so this is actually going to be your action item at the tail end of this, um, individually individually. I would really encourage you to thank your table host. And if they're not here this week, they'll be here next week, Moffitts. Um, uh, but, but thank them profusely for, for their investment in you. Um, we couldn't do what we do without them. And so, so thank them. I'm so thankful for you. And let me just tell you from me, um, table host, I'm so thankful for each one of you. You make my life easy. And here's why. Um, I'm concerned about every person in this room that you're loved, that you're cared for, that you know that uh, the community of Christ loves you uh, intentionally. Like That is, that is my heartbeat. Um, but there's too many of you. I can't know every single one of you. And, and the table hosts in this place take that love and drive it home to each one of you. And and they've done an amazing, amazing job. And so thank you, each one of you, for your passion for college students and your willingness to just love on people because it makes the biggest difference in the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your investment. Okay, let's give them one more hand. With that, turn to your tables and have some great discussion and make sure to thank them individually for their contribution.